from CJBT Productions, the team that brings you the Music Halls of Fame podcast, comes the Music History Today daily podcast, where we bring you a quick daily briefing of the musical events, births, and passings that happened on that particular day. So, if you love music and history, then please like, subscribe, and share the Music History Today daily podcast out every day on Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast from. The following is a CJBT Productions podcast. This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast, episode two. On this week's show, we honor a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1987, look at the case for inducting Oasis into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast celebrates those who have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We also look at the case for certain artists to be inducted into the hall who aren't there yet. Plus, every week we discuss a different musical hall of fame, a walk of fame, or a museum, and celebrate someone who's been inducted into them. Let's start with our main focus of the podcast, which is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Hall Foundation was established on April 20, 1983. Former Atlantic Records chairman Amit Erdogan was the head of the foundation at the time. Three years later, a committee chose Cleveland, Ohio to be the site of the physical location for the museum over Detroit, New York City, Philadelphia, Memphis, and Cincinnati. I say physical location because members have been inducted into the hall since 1986 before the building was opened. Cleveland was chosen due to what DJ Alan Freed did to promote rock and roll, including mainstreaming the phrase rock and roll, which was originally black slang for sex, and for holding the first rock and roll concert, which only lasted a few minutes before police broke it up actually. Ground was broken for the building on June 7, 1993. It opened on September 1, 1995 at 1100 Rock and Roll Boulevard on the shore of Lake Erie. The hall gets over 400,000 visitors a year on average. The normal hours of operation are 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., except on Thursdays when they're open until 9 p.m. They're normally open later in the summer months. General admission at the moment is $30, children 12 and under are $20, college students, first responders, military members, and Northeast Ohio residents are $25, and kids 5 and under, Hall of Fame members, and Cleveland residents are free. ID is required to get all those discounts, by the way. Rockhall.com 
rockhall.com is their website. That's R-O-C-K-H-A-L-L dot C-O-M. As with all places these days, due to COVID restrictions, check with the website for updated information and hours. The criteria for being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was originally that, quote, artists have to have had released their first record 25 years earlier and have creative music whose originality, impact, and influence has changed the course of rock and roll, end quote. That interpretation has been updated in recent decades to include music that rock and roll influenced, like reggae, country, and hip-hop, and also youth culture that music has influenced and vice versa. That's why hip-hop artists have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, by the way. The different categories that people can be inducted for are, one, for musical excellence, which is for artists, musicians, songwriters, and producers who have had dramatic impact on music. Two, early influencers, artists whose music influence rock music and youth culture like jazz and blues. Three, the Amit Erdogan Award, which is named for famed record executive Amit Erdogan, and goes to a non-performer who has had an impact, like record executives and managers. There's also a category that inducts songs that have influenced music. Past winners have been The Trogs' is Wild Thing and Sham the Sham and the Pharaoh's classic song Wooly Bully. Of course, the most popular category is the performers category, which has everyone from Elvis to Tina Turner. The different nominating committees decide who will make the official ballots for that year. Then the ballots are sent to a thousand musicologists, executives, performers, and other experts. And the fans also get a chance to vote, with that vote usually being held on the hall's website. And from all that, the final inductees are then chosen. Now, with all that being said... Let us look at this week's honoree and the year that they were honored. The year was 1987. The world population hit 5 billion people. The U.S. population hit 244.6 million people. Yearly inflation rate in the United States was 3.66%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average finished the year with 1,938. Alan Greenspan became the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, and the board set interest rates at 8.75% that year. Average cost of a new home was $92,000. The average cost of an existing home was $85,500. Average yearly income, $24,350. Average monthly rent, $395. The average price of a new car was $10,305. A gallon of gas would set you back 89 cents. And the stamp cost 24 cents. 
1987, President Ronald Reagan made his famous Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall speech in front of the Berlin Wall. Later in the year, Supreme Court Justice nominee Robert Bork was rejected by the United States Senate after Senator Ted Kennedy delivered a blistering speech during the confirmation hearings about Judge Bork's controversial racial statements and rulings. The Baby M. Baby surrogacy case made news that year. A ferry in Seabrug, Belgium capsized, killing 193 people. Another ferry accident in the Philippines killed over 4,300 people. Special envoy to the Archbishop of Canterbury, Terry Waite, was kidnapped in Beirut, Lebanon, while trying to negotiate the release of other hostages that were being held by the Islamic Jihad organization. Terry was finally released himself in 1991. Italy had three prime ministers in one year, going from Bettino Craxi to Amatori Fanfani to finally Giovanni Goria. Japan, for its part, had two prime ministers, from Yasuhiro Nakasone to Noboru Takashida. The big story of the year happened on October 19th when the stock market crashed. The second biggest story happened on November 11th when the Tower Commission released its report on the Iran-Contra scandal where the government went around sanctions against the country of Iran and sold the country weapons, then used that money to arm the Contra movement in El Salvador. The commission found Ronald Reagan ultimately responsible for the scandal but did not recommend impeachment. People who were born in 1987 include actors Zac Efron, Tom Felton, Michael B. Jordan, Shea Mitchell, Evan Peters, Naya Rivera, Blake Lively, Candace King, Hilary Duff, Elliot Page, Tyler Hoechlin, Ed Westwick, Karen Gillan, Darren Chris, and Matthew Daddario. Also, soccer superstar Lionel Messi, Wrestlers Becky Lynch and A.J. Lee, MMA fighter Ronda Rousey, model Erica Mena, and reality TV stars Snooki from the Jersey Shore and Rob Kardashian. People who passed away in 1987 include actors Ray Bolger, Rita Hayworth, Randolph Scott, Lee Marvin, Jackie Gleason, Fred Astaire, Lorne Green, Geraldine Page, Mary Astor, Dan Rowan, Danny Kaye, Robert Preston, Joyce Jameson, Will Sampson, Elizabeth Hartman, James Coco, Richard Egan, Patrick Troughton of Doctor Who fame, Mr. Green Jeans on Captain Kangaroo, Hugh Branham, Hayden Rourke, Alejandro Ray, and Dick Sean. Other famous people who passed away in 1987 include Nazi war criminal Rudolf Hess, author and politician Claire Booth Luce, murderer Audrey Marie Hilly, TV producer Quinn Martin, sci-fi writer C.L. Moore, Pennsylvania State Treasurer R. Bud Dwyer, who shot himself during a press conference after he was accused of perjury, baseball pitcher Larry French, 
Civil rights activist Bayard Rustin, psychologist Carl Rogers, Burkina Faso leader Thomas Sankara, artist Andy Warhol, professor of literature and author Joseph Campbell, football coach Woody Hayes, tennis player Henri Crochet, U.S. Army Captain Herbert Sobel, who was portrayed in the TV miniseries Band of Brothers, director John Houston, car maker Henry Ford II, speedboat designer Donald Arenau, and former head of the CIA, James Jesus Angleton. The Nobel Peace Prize went to Oscar Arias from Costa Rica for trying to bring peace to Central America. Mikhail Gorbachev was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year for the first time. The Soviet leader would be named Person of the Year and Person of the Decade in 1989. Actor Harry Hamlin was named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. In technology, the Apple HyperCard was released along with the Apple II GS computer as was the Microsoft 2.0 operating system. General Motors made the first solar-powered car, which looked an awful lot like the space shuttle. The Casio DG20 digital guitar came out, for all you Flight of the Concord fans out there who remember that episode. The first alphanumeric pager came out. Adobe Illustrator 1.0 came out for the Mac. Also, Pioneer made the first erasable recordable laser video disc. It didn't catch on mainly because VHS tapes became huge by then, as 66% of all American households had a VCR, which was up from only 15% of all households in 1985. In video games, the original Metal Gear came out, and to this day, I still can't tell you what that game's storyline is about. So Snake is now Clone Snake 2, 3... I have no idea, it's so confusing. It's a fun game, though. Square also released the first Final Fantasy game in Japan very late in 1987. Other released games were Contra, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out!, Street Fighter, and Mega Man. Zelda II The Adventures of Link was the most popular video game of the year, and Laser Tag became a thing in 1987 as well. In books, Donald Trump released the book The Art of the Deal. Gary Paulson released Hatchet. Douglas Adams released Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Toni Morrison released Beloved. Stephen King released Misery. Tom Wolfe released The Bonfire of the Vanities. Fanny Flagg released Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe, later made, of course, into the movie fried green tomatoes. Carrie Fisher released Postcards from the Edge. Jean M. Owl released The Clan of the Cave Bear. Dean Koontz released Watchers. Michael Crichton released Sphere. Tom Clancy released Patriot Games. Bill Watterson released Calvin and Hobbes Number 1. In sports, the Washington Redskins won the Super Bowl, which was held in San Diego, California. The halftime show was themed Something Grand and had Chubby Checker, the Rockettes, 88 Grand Pianos, and the San Diego State University and USC marching bands. Such wholesome entertainment. 
The NFL players then went on strike for 24 days during the 1987-88 football season. Penn State won the NCAA College Football Championship. The Minnesota Twins won Baseball's World Series. In basketball, the Los Angeles Lakers won the NBA championship, Indiana won the NCAA College Men's Championship, and Tennessee won the NCAA College Women's Championship. In hockey, the Edmonton Oilers won the Stanley Cup for the third time in four years. Stephen Roach won the Tour de France. In horse racing, Ali Sheba won both the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, but could not pull off the Triple Crown losing the Belmont Stakes to bet twice. In boxing, Mike Tyson beat James Bone Crusher Smith for the heavyweight championship, and Sugar Ray Leonard beat marvelous Marvin Hagler for the middleweight championship. In golf, Larry Mize won the Masters, Scott Simpson won the U.S. Open, Nick Faldo won the British Open, Larry Nelson won the PGA Championship, and Curtis Strange won the most money that year, by winning just over $900,000 in earnings. For the women's majors, Betsy King won the Nabisco Dinah Shore, Jane Geddes won the LPGA Championship, Laura Davies won the U.S. Open, Jody Rosenthal won the Classique de Maurier Classic, and Ayako Okamoto won the most money with 466 thousand dollars in earnings even though she did not win a championship or a major championship in tennis stefan edberg and hannah mandakova won the australian open yvonne lendl and steffi graf won the french open pat cash and martina navratilova won wimbledon and yvonne lendl and martina navratilova won the u.s open in soccer, Everton won England's Football League First Division Championship, as the Premier League was known as that point. Real Madrid won Spain's La Liga. Bordeaux won France's Ligue 1. Napoli won Italy's Serie A. Bayern Munich won Germany's Bundesliga. In motorsports, Nelson Piquet won the Formula One Championship. Bobby Rahal won the IndyCar Championship, and Dale Earnhardt Sr. won the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship. The Associated Press Male and Female Athletes of the Year both went to track and field athletes. Soon to be disgraced runner Ben Johnson, who tested positive for steroids after winning a gold medal in the 1988 Summer Olympics for the men, and Jackie Joyner-Kersey for the women. Other athletes who had great years include basketball star Michael Jordan of the Chicago Bulls, who averaged 37.1 points per game. Washington Redskins quarterback Doug Williams became the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl. The great one, Mr. Wayne Gretzky of the Edmonton Oilers, had 62 goals and 121 assists in a year. One person who did not have a good year was Los Angeles Dodgers baseball executive Al Campanis, who, during an interview, said that black people did not have the intelligence to be baseball managers. Al was fired soon thereafter. In movies, Three Men and a Baby was the number one movie. 
Kevin Costner became a movie star that year with the one-two punch of The Untouchables with Sean Connery, who won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role in the movie, and for No Way Out about a Russian mole in the United States government. Other movies released that year were Lethal Weapon, Moonstruck, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Wall Street, The Lost Boys, and the original Predator. At the Academy Awards, the Best Picture Oscar went to The Last Emperor, while Michael Douglas won Best Actor as Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. Best Supporting Actor went to Sean Connery, as I mentioned earlier. Cher won Best Actress, and Olympia Dukakis won Best Supporting Actress, both for the movie Moonstruck. I've Had the Time of My Life from Dirty Dancing won Best Song, while The Last Emperor won Best Film Score. On TV, the Fox TV network debuted. The Simpsons first appeared on the network, not as their own show, but as shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. Other TV shows that debuted that year were Disney's DuckTales, Full House, Married with Children, and 21 Jump Street, where people first got to really know Johnny Depp. Other top TV shows of 1987 include The Cosby Show, A Different World, The Golden Girls, Cheers, Growing Pains, Who's the Boss, Night Court, 60 Minutes, Murder, She Wrote, and The Wonder Years. At the Primetime Emmy Awards, The Golden Girls won Best Comedy and L.A. Law won Best Drama. In music, hip-hop continued creeping into the mainstream as LL Cool J, Boogie Down Productions, Eric B. and Rakim, and Public Enemy made noise. Alt-rock also continued to go from college radio to the mainstream, thanks in part to the influence of MTV. Bands like Husker Du, Dinosaur Jr., and Sonic Youth began to break through a little, and if you hung out in your local record store like a lot of kids did back in the day, then you might have heard the rumblings of some bands in Seattle called Soundgarden and the Melvins. The hairband era got jump-started by Bon Jovi, whose second album, Slippery When Wet, became a mega-selling album, and then, of course, every record label had to have their own hairband. U2 released the Joshua Tree album, Michael Jackson released Bad, Prince released Sign of the Times, and Guns N' Roses released Appetite for Destruction. George Michael's Faith and the Dirty Dancing soundtrack both came out late in the year with their success carrying over into 1988. The top 10 best-selling albums, according to Billboard magazine, were Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet, Paul Simon's Graceland, Beastie Boys' License to Ill, Bruce Hornsby and the Ranges' The Way It Is, Janet Jackson's Control, U2's The Joshua Tree, Huey Lewis and the News' Four, Cinderella's Night Songs, Anita Baker's Rapture, and Genesis's Invisible Touch. The top 10 best-selling singles, according to Billboard magazine, were The Bangles, Walk Like an Egyptian at number one, Hearts Alone, Gregory Abbott, Shake You Down, Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody, Starships, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, Robbie Neville's Say La Vie, White Snake's Here I Go Again, Bruce Hornsby and the Ranges The Way It Is, Bob Seger's Shakedown, and Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. 
Musical artists who were born in 1987 include DJ Afrojack, rappers Meek Mill, Kendrick Lamar, Wiz Khalifa, Bow Wow, Justina Valentine, Jay Park, Dougie Pointer of McFly, singers Frank Ocean, Aaron Carter, Diana DeGarma, Kevin Jonas of the Jonas Brothers, Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons, Dan Reynolds of Imagine Dragons, Brendan Urie of Panic at the Disco, Kesha, and Jesse McCartney. Musical artists who passed away in 1987 include Paul Butterfield of the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, founder of the New York Blue Note Jazz Nightclub Alfred Lyon, entertainer Liberace, guitarist Bola Setti, singer Dean Paul Martin Jr., French singer Dalida, cellist Jacqueline Dupree, bassist Jaco Pastorius of Weather Report, drummer Buddy Rich, Maria Augusta Von Trapp of the famous Von Trapp family, whose life story was told somewhat in the movie The Sound of Music. Also, singer Maxine Sullivan, drummer Carlton Barrett, and guitarist Peter Tosh of Bob Marley and the Wailers. For the Grammys for Music of 1987, U2 won Album of the Year for The Joshua Tree, Paul Simon won Record of the Year for Graceland, Somewhere Out There from the American Tale soundtrack won Song of the Year, and Jody Watley won Best New Artist. At the Eurovision Singing Contest, which was held in Brussels, Belgium, Johnny Logan from Ireland won for the song Hold Me Now. At the Tony Awards, Les Miserables won Best Musical, and All My Sons won Best Revival. At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, record executives Amit Erdogan, Jerry Wexler, and Leonard Chess and record producers Jerry Lieber and Mike Stroller were inducted into the non-performers category. Louis Jordan, T-Bone Walker, and Hank Williams were inducted into the early influencers category. In the performers category, the hall inducted the Coasters, Eddie Cochran, Bo Diddley, Aretha Franklin, B.B. King, Bill Haley, Roy Orbison, Carl Perkins, Clyde McFadder, Smokey Robinson, Muddy Waters, Jackie Wilson, Big Joe Turner, Rick Nelson, and this next artist. What's going on? Sexual healing. How sweet it is to be loved by you. Those are just some of the songs that made our next artist famous. And while it seemed to the public that he lived a charmed life, behind the scenes, it was anything but charmed. The same demons that controlled many other artists controlled him as well. And his death, or rather the way he died, was one of the most shocking moments in music history. Marvin Gaye was born on April 2, 1939 in Washington, D.C. His father was a minister while his mother was a domestic worker. He enjoyed singing from a young age when he started singing in his father's church. 
His father was also extremely strict and would beat Marvin over any childhood transgression. Marvin went into the Air Force after high school. He didn't like how strict it was, so he faked mental illness and got a general discharge. He returned to Washington, where he formed a singing group called the Marquis. While performing around the D.C. area, they came in contact with Bo Diddley, who got them signed to one of Columbia Records' smaller labels. When their first single failed to become a hit, well, the group was dropped. Right around that time, there was a group called the Moonglows. The co-founder of the Moonglows, Harvey Fuqua, liked the Marquis' sound and signed them to an employee's contract. He moved the group to Chicago as well, where they worked as session singers while recording their own material, which was when Marvin started writing songs for himself. During a performance at the home of Barry Gordy, who was the head of Motown Records, Barry noticed Marvin's talent and arranged with Fuqua for Marvin to join the Motown family. Marvin's Motown career started off slowly. He was a session drummer while trying to get his records to sell. His debut album, The Soulful Moods of Marvin Gaye, flopped miserably. It wasn't until 1962 that things started clicking for him. Late in 1962, he released his first solo hit, Stubborn Kind of Fellow. Things started humming after that. Hit after hit started coming his way, and he started doing duet albums. The first one with Mary Wells was a big hit. He had the hit It Takes Two with Kim Weston. He also had a bunch of hits with Tammy Terrell, including Ain't No Mountain High Enough and Your Precious Love. During a performance together in 1967, Tammy collapsed on stage into Marvin's arms. Tammy, as it turned out, was suffering from a brain tumor. She would have multiple operations and would quit live performing. She would later pass away from brain cancer in 1970, and her illness and death affected Marvin greatly. Marvin recorded What's Going On, but Barry Gordy thought it was too political for its time. Marvin stopped recording in protest until Motown released the song and the album. Both the song and the album would go on to become major hits and are now considered to be some of the greatest music to be recorded of all time, making many a best-of all-time list. It was at that point that Marvin knew that eventually he would have to gain more creative control over his own music. By the time he recorded his last album for Motown in 1978, things were not going so well for Marvin. First, he was getting divorced, and second, he was dealing with the IRS over back taxes. Third, and possibly most important, he was dealing with that old musical demon, drugs, specifically cocaine. To escape everything, Marvin went to Europe. When Motown released his last album with them, Marvin realized that they changed the mixing and editing. He was furious vowing never to do another album with Motown. In 1982, Motown released Marvin from his contract. He then landed at CBS Records, where he recorded his comeback album, Midnight Love, with the smash hit song, Sexual Healing. During the tour for that album, he became more and more dependent upon cocaine. 
He had gotten sober for a time when he was in Europe, and it looked like he would be fine, but it was not to be. Things got so bad that it got to the point where he moved back in with his parents, who had relocated to Los Angeles. A very big mistake, as it would turn out. Remember, Marvin and his father had a really bad relationship. Marvin even added the E to his last name of Gay in order to get people to stop making fun of his last name, G-A-Y, but to also symbolically get further away from his dad. Marvin decided, though, that after all those years, that he wanted to make peace with his dad. So, for Christmas in 1983, Marvin gave his dad a Smith & Wesson 38 caliber handgun to use as protection. That was big mistake number two. The drugs had made Marvin suicidal and paranoid. He attempted to commit suicide on March 28, 1984, by jumping in front of a car, but he only got a few bruises from it. Also during that time, Marvin's parents were arguing a lot mainly over some missing insurance papers. On April 1st, 1984, Marvin's parents argued about those papers again. Marvin tried protecting his mother when his dad came upstairs to confront his mother. Marvin pushed his dad out of the room, told him not to come back in, beat him, and punched him. Marvin followed his dad into his dad's bedroom, still kicking and beating him. Marvin's mother pulled him away and told him to go back to his own room. A few minutes later, Marvin's father came back upstairs and went to Marvin's room. He opened the door. In his hand was that Smith & Wesson gun that Marvin had given his father that Christmas before in order to protect himself. Marvin's dad pointed the gun at his own son and fired twice, once hitting Marvin in his heart and once hitting him in his left shoulder. Marvin Gaye passed away less than an hour later, one day before his 45th birthday. His father would be tried for murder, but once it was determined that he acted in self-defense, he was given a six-month suspended sentence and five years probation. Marvin's father passed away in 1998 in a nursing home. As with a lot of sudden deaths, there's always, of course, a conspiracy theory. This one says that Marvin wanted to commit suicide but couldn't do it himself especially after failing only a few days before when he jumped in front of that speeding car and survived. The conspiracy theory goes that Marvin purposely enraged his father, knowing that his father would kill him, as his father had stated many a time that if a child of his ever raised their hand to him, he would kill them. Most parents are only half kidding when they say that. Not Marvin's dad. I'm not sure if Marvin did do that, and the fact is, honestly, we'll never know. We only have the eyewitness reports to go by. What we do know is that the world was completely shocked. 
I think most people would have believed a drug overdose or maybe even a suicide, which might have been a little less shocking. But getting shot by your own father, now that was a new one. On MTV's Most Shocking Things to Happen in Music list, Marvin's Death ranks in at number eight. Presented for induction by Ashford and Simpson, Mr. Marvin Gaye, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 1987. This week, we're going to look at the case for putting Oasis into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. While grunge music ruled American music, Oasis ruled good old Britannia. The group was one of the most influential groups coming out of England, and they still influence groups to this very day, including groups like the Arctic Monkeys. And while the brothers Gallagher might not have gotten along and still don't get along, to be nice about it. They sure put out some great music. With albums like Definitely Maybe, What's the Story, Morning Glory, and Be Here Now, and songs like Wonderwall, Supersonic, and Don't Look Back in Anger, their place in music history is solidified. Worldwide, two of their albums sold over 15 million copies, with the rest of their seven full-length albums going platinum and multi-platinum. They were nominated for three Grammy Awards, winning none. In Britain, though, they were kings. They were nominated for 17 Brit Awards, winning six of them worldwide. They've received 90 award nominations, winning exactly half of them. Now, if you want to get your feet wet with them, then get their album Time Flies, 1994 to 2009. That's their greatest hits album. If you want a deep dive, then you have to get their first three albums. Definitely Maybe, What's the Story, Morning Glory, and Be Here Now. That was when the band was at its zenith. Also, watch the documentary about the band called Oasis Supersonic. You'll get a better feel for what they went through and how influential they were. The only knock against Oasis not being inducted that I can personally see is that they didn't sell as well in America as they did in the rest of the world. While Wonderwall is now a staple at EDM festivals and DJ sets to get the crowd singing before they completely destroy the song in some crappy remix, Wonderwall was one of the few songs to make the pop charts in America from the band. Oasis did much better on the Billboard alternative music charts and on the British charts, where most of their singles were top 10 staples. Regardless, Now that the band is eligible for induction, I do hope that the Hall will consider putting them in. I just don't think the band will show up to accept the award, especially the way the Brothers Gallagher continue to this very day to talk about each other.
This week's Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. The Country Music Hall of Fame Museum was opened on April 1, 1967, but they started inducting members into the hall in 1961. The museum has almost 200,000 recordings and an extensive collection of memorabilia. The museum is located at 222 Fifth Avenue South and is open daily from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Ticket prices are anywhere from $25 to $40 depending on packages. Kids 6 and under are $16. And it is one of Nashville's biggest tourist attractions, so plan accordingly. The crowds will be large. Go to countrymusichalloffame.org for more information. That is C-O-U-N-T-R-Y-M-U-S-I-C-H-A-L-L-O-F-F-A-M-E dot O-R-G. Especially concerning the COVID regulations, since you may have to reserve your tickets in advance now online because of those regulations Check their website for more information about them. Sam Phillips was born in 1923 in Florence, Alabama. He started working at a radio station in Muscle Shoals, Alabama as an announcer and engineer during the Great Depression in order to help his family pay the bills. His family, when growing up, had a farm, and it was during that time that he fell in love with R&B, the blues, and gospel, as the farm workers sang those songs in the fields. At the radio station where he first worked, they played those songs along with the usual standards of the day, which gave him the idea to help springboard those types of music once he changed radio stations and moved to Memphis, Tennessee in 1945. In 1950, Sam opened the Memphis Recording Service Studio, where he let guys like B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, Ike Turner, Bobby Blue Bland, and Junior Parker record. In 1952, he opened up Sun Record Company, which became his own record label. The way things worked back then was this. Musicians would come in and record the songs, then Sam would sell the songs to the bigger record labels. It was a decent living at the time. And it was during this time that Sam realized something. He wanted R&B and the blues to be loved by everybody regardless of race, but he knew that in order to get the music to the mainstream, he would need to find artists with an image to sell it. In other words, he needed a white person to sell R&B. It was the 50s after all. One day in 1953, Elvis Presley walked into Sun Records in order to record a couple of songs. Sam wasn't in the studio that day, but another person who was there, radio personality Marion Kesker, was and talked Sam into listening to Elvis sing. Sam invited Elvis to come back and record, and together they found a few guys to play with. One night, they were fooling around and playing a blues song called That's All Right. They eventually decided to record it and to give it to a local DJ who played the song three days later. The radio station switchboard lit up, wondering who the singer was. And that 
was the beginning. Another artist who joined the label was Roy Orbison. Roy was born in Texas in 1936, and when he was six years old, he was given a guitar. Roy started playing in a band called the Wink Westerners, who played country songs and also had their own local radio show. When he finished high school, he went to North Texas State College. His idea was to study geology so that he could go work in the oil fields if music didn't work out. Once he heard that fellow North Texas State College student Pat Boone had gotten a record contract, Roy decided to do the same thing. He ended up transferring to Odessa Junior College. While there, he and what remained of the Wink Westerners played dances on the weekends and had a local TV show. One day, Johnny Cash stopped by to perform on the TV show. He suggested that the group audition for Sam Phillips at Sun Records. Sam ended up turning them down flat. Around this time, Roy and his band got a better TV gig with a bigger station. They changed the name of the band to the Teen Kings. And since Sun Records didn't take them, the group decided to record a song that Roy had written a few years earlier while at North Texas State College called Ooby Dooby. Once they released it on J-Well Records, the song actually did pretty well. It also got noticed by Sam Phillips, who only months earlier had turned the group down for a recording contract. But this time, Sam said yes. The Teen Kings re-recorded Ooby Dooby for Sun Records, and the song went to number 59 on the Billboard singles chart. The group ended up splitting up, but Roy decided to stay at Sun. Two other artists who made their name recording for Sam were Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis. And those four recording artists made up what would be coined the Million Dollar Quartet. And all of them would go on to have amazing careers, helping to establish the foundation of what would be called rock and roll. Sam would famously sell Elvis's contract to RCA Records for $35,000, and as the years went on, Sam lost interest in the recording studio. Eventually, it was taken over by his sons. Don't feel too bad for Sam, though. See, Sam took that $35,000 that he got from selling Elvis's contract and invested it in a hotel chain that was starting up at the time. That hotel chain, by the way, was Holiday Inn, and it made Sam a multi-millionaire. Not bad for a kid from the Great Depression. Sam's been inducted into a few Hall of Fames, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Blues Hall of Fame, along with the Country Music Hall of Fame. Mr. Sam Phillips, inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville, Tennessee, in 2001. And that is it for the Music Halls of Fame podcast, episode number two. Thanks for listening. Audio engineering and editing, video editing, writing, narration, basically everything having to do with this podcast is done by yours truly. 
You can find us on our website at cjbtproductions.com. Our podcast is on all of your favorite podcast providers, such as Apple Music, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, etc., all under Music History Today. If you would like to support this podcast, our Patreon can be found at patreon.com backslash music history today we are also on twitter at music history day and you can now find us on youtube don't forget to like subscribe and hit that notification bell anytime you want to know exactly what videos are dropped and when all of those links can be found in the show notes below thank you very very much for listening